correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome back to Me and Steve. I'm here tonight with my friend Steve. Hey, what's up, Steve? Oh, not so much. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Nice, dismal, miserable, dreary day outside today. I wouldn't know. I was inside most of the day. Well, so was I, but, you know, the, the spurts I was outside, it was half raining and just, I mean, it, well, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't pleasant. Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess we're going to do this podcast thing again. Are we? Are we well, doing it again? I think. But uh, before we get into that, uh, well, what are we doing for podcast of the week this week? Well, I think for once, we actually have a podcast that released an episode. You know, hey, which one was that? That was the Forge. A Hooli! Yeah. It's about a Hooli sighting in the wild. Yeah, they dropped a new episode today. Of course, obviously, by the time you hear this, it won't be today anymore, but you get an idea. They have a new episode out. It's called A Welcome Presence, where they, Hooli uh, and Chris, dive into the presence attributes, along with uh, a talk with Brett and Phil from Studio 404 about Mechasis. And uh, it looks like they've got some mailbag stuff and all sorts of fun stuff. And it's always a great show. Haven't got a chance to listen to it personally because I was busy enough at work today that I couldn't really put podcasts on. Yeah, seriously. I've uh, I queued it up and just haven't got around to it yet. Yep. It's sitting in the phone. I'll listen to it tomorrow. <laughs> um. <laughs> but yeah, we rib. But, you know, Huli, who's been on our show a bunch, we Told him last time he was on, he wasn't allowed to come back until he released an episode. So now he's welcome to come back on. Yep. And Huli's <laughs> a great guy. He's a good friend. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Very happy so, to have new, new, new content out from them this week. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And you can find them at forgegenesis.com and all over the place. And there'll be links and all the other stuff like we always do. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. All right, Sleepy. What are we doing today? Well, I think we... We might as well talk something. Let's talk about getting your players comfortable. Okay. And so that's sort of a, I don't know. It was sort of an idea that was being thrown around. And have you ever played an RPG on a couch? Like, have you played a tabletop RPG on a couch or on your couch or somebody else's couch? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I tend to not like that because you've played with me and I am a spreader outer of things. Right. And so playing on a couch does not leave me space to spread out my things. <laughs> I've played a lot. Well, you know, uh, I've sent you pictures before of what my old D&D group used to look like. Yeah. And and we played a lot on couches and like TV trays. Mm -hmm. I think one of the big things is, so the idea is 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 really simple. The more comfortable your players are, the easier it is for them to open up, right? Mm -hmm. The easier it is for them to open up, the better the role play is going to be because your players feel, for lack of a better term, comfortable with being there. Okay. And so, you know, sometimes some games really like to be played on a couch. Okay. I don't think D&D's that game, but I could think of a couple like, um, I could think of a couple like very freeform games that would work really well on a couch, right? I think lighter stuff, like retro star, I think would be kind of okay that way. As long as you had a small surface to roll on and well, that, or like mutant city blues could work well on a couch because it doesn't require a lot of rolls. Yeah. Um, I think you could play pretty much any BRP on a couch because you only need to roll periodically. And if you're rolling dice and, in, in you know, let's say call of Cthulhu, you're in a lot of trouble at that point. <laughs> yeah, I, it's well. Let's put. I think it's possible with any game. Oh, it's definitely. I mean, we played D and D on a couch, and that's a freaking nightmare. <laughs> but I think 
what you're getting at is games were much more story first games. Right. You're you're more story driven games where you want that heavy role play though, right? You're right, right. Your your story first games, so stuff like uh let's say, you know, I haven't got the chance to play it, but let's say like um powered by the apocalypse. Right. Where that's very role play heavy, right? Mm-hmm. I would tend to think that would work really well on a couch or or just in a non-conventional table seating situation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, get, I get where you're going. I think, you know, I don't think Genesis would work well on couches because that's too many dice for everybody to have. And half of the fun of Genesis is seeing everyone's role. Yes. I think some of that would only work. Like, I think Genesis would only really work if everybody either had like a small table or you would have to have like dice rollers on your phone or something. Yeah. It's doable, but. But the other thing is, and it also goes back to safety tools. You know, we've talked about safety tools a lot. Your players can, when your players feel comfortable, they can come out of their shell. When they don't feel comfortable, they're going to be more closed off. It's just a, it's a human nature thing, right? Like as Mm -hmm. a person, when you're comfortable with a situation, you're going to be more open and willing to talk and willing to participate versus if you're in a situation that you're uncomfortable with, you're going to be a little bit more closed and quiet and closed off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, making your gaming space physically and also mentally, we'll say, a welcoming and comfortable place is important, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's not just, you know, it, it physically is one thing. You can control physical comfortable to an extent, right? Like, is the room too hot or cold? Is the Are the players in comfy chairs? They in un- uncomfortable chairs? Like, there's things you can do to make the room more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, at a certain point, you know, some things are just out of your control, right? Yeah. <laughs> but also making it a, a ment- mentally comfortable space, making it where everybody feels like, you know, they can be comfortable opening up and especially with, especially I find with like playing in game stores, this is true because back in the day when played in game stores, right. And, and making sure that anybody that sat down at the table didn't feel like they were, you know, shunned or outsider or anything other than welcome. Right. And, and that's an important thing. And, and also realizing that's a, you know, after going to my first convention, well, not first convention, but first time playing tabletop games at a convention. That's another thing is making sure that everybody at the table feels acknowledged. Everybody at the table feels like their voice is being heard and also simultaneously that they're welcome at that table. Mm-hmm. Because you could you can tell when a table feels closed off or a table feels like, you know, if it's you and your friends and somebody new sits down at the table, you need to be open to letting that new person be there and not just like, eh, whatever, you're not part of my friend group, I don't care, right? Yeah. It's it's important that, especially to keep the hobby alive, thriving, and growing, that we be as welcoming as possible. I know no, that's, that's like, yeah. That's very true, I think, you know, and I think you bring up a point there with the, and, and not just in a game store or convention environment, but if you've got a new player coming in to an established group, that can be really daunting for them because there's already these dynamics that exist between everyone at the table. And like our, our current weekly game that we play on Wednesday nights, we've got a really kind of a unique thing because counting me as the GM at the moment, there are six of us and all of us have played with someone else at the table before. Most of us with at least two at a time, but none of us have all played together before. Right. Right. So it, that I think kind of works in a sense because everyone's comfortable with at least one, if not more than that other person there. And oh, it yeah. helps. And it's an online, so it's different, but. Well, no, it, and it's, it's true for online games too. I mean, I, I, I find myself like I've been hesitant to join online games with people I didn't know. And then I, I did join an online game with a bunch of people I didn't know and ended up having a great time with it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you're hesitant. You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know these. You know, I only know this person based on what they've, you know, 
Maybe you're on a Discord with somebody. You're like, I only know this person based on the comments or the conversations we've had on the Discord together. I don't know how this table's going to be. And that makes you really nervous and, and uncomfortable. I mean, that's the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. But feeling welcomed once you sit down at the table and feeling, you know, open to a group, that's that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never thought about the the idea of, you know, like you said, you know, if you're sitting on a couch or something, I, I, I don't know. Because I also, for me, I feel like, I don't know how to say this, but like sitting on a couch, I would find, for me, I think, harder to get myself more engaged because I'm like sitting there comfy and I want to enjoy something being presented to me much more than I want to actively participate in it. See, for me, the, the idea is, the idea is basically this. It's, it's the idea that there've been, I've had a lot of really great conversations sitting on a couch or sitting in a chair with a group of people, right? Like sitting Mm -hmm. in like a lounge chair, having a conversation. I think back to like college, right? Mm-hmm. chilling in my buddy's dorm sitting on his you know sitting on his couch just telling stories and and having genuine conversations with him and his roommates and and all that i feel like that's a uh i don't know that's something that i think i could get get behind in playing a game that way again you would have to be a narrative heavy game obviously oh, you're not, yeah you're you're really not going to be playing with a ton of dice unless there's you know, it has to be very specific setup to be set up for a ton of dice and stuff. But a more narrative heavy game where maybe the only thing you're holding is like maybe a character sheet. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Like a gumshoe type thing could work because there's minimal rolling. And even if you are, it's what, one or two D6. Right. You know, most powered by the apocalypse, you're only looking at a couple of D6s, a couple of D10s, depending on specific. I. I could see it working. I, hmm. I guess it's one of those things that to me, it's, I've always just done it mostly around a table or, you know, I remember a couple of times doing it, you know, sitting like on a dorm room floor or something like that. But, you know, like a comfy desk chair is good. I like that. Yeah. But, and then, like I said, the act of getting physically comfortable, like I said, also, I didn't said this once or twice already, but it, it gets you and and the people at the table mentally prepared to be open, right? Mm-hmm. That's why, and and this is just some knowledge. If you know, if you've never been to a therapist, that's why therapists have such comfortable furniture. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, that makes sense. They want you to be, you know, when you think of a therapist, you always think of the Chase Lounge, right? Laying down at a therapist's office on a chase lounge, you know, you got your legs up reclined, you got your head elevated, they're talking to you, right? That's the idea of that is to get you comfortable so that you're more willing to open up. Mm -hmm. And doing the same with with RPGs isn't a bad idea, right? And and taking some of that idea and transferring it over isn't isn't too bad of a plan. Fair. Um, Yeah. No, that's but I think one of the other things that getting your players comfortable works well with is getting your players in a mindset for a particular type of game. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't, I obviously, you know, I don't think anybody really has except for maybe play testers and the people working on it. I haven't got a chance to look at the new Monty Python game. No, but it's yeah. Go ahead. No, it's actively on Kickstarter. So, right. And it actually shouldn't, be done by the time this airs i don't think it'll be getting close yeah we'll be getting close to the end but shouldn't be done yet but the the monty python game right well it's not a role-playing game no it's not it is distinctly not a role-playing game it is a co-curricular medieval reenactment program (laughs) right (laughs) i would like to i could see if that game is maybe more narrative heavy i think that would be a good on the couch type game Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good with a couple libations type game. <laughs> I, most likely, yes. And spam. Yeah, like you said, with spam. <laughs> but no, I, I think I think if as long as it's not too crunchy, and I even a crunch a light crunch game is almost too crunchy to play on a couch sometimes. As long as it's not too involved as far as dice is concerned. I think that that game could be a fantastic contender for 
hey, come on over, we'll chill out. No, we don't have to sit at the table. We'll we'll sit over here and sit on the couches and laugh and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And that's a mindset thing, you know, sort of transitioning off of that into our half second topic. <laughs> Comedy games are hard and also incredibly simple. <laughs> well, I think that kind of that's comedy in a nutshell though right in general either you're funny or you're not i mean that's all there is to it everybody's sense of funny is is different Mm -hmm. but i think so we played retro star and that was kind of a comedy game like when i ran it right like i didn't wasn't running it super serious no it well it's we were really playing up the cheese angle of it right and I think that's an important thing to note, though, is that I think there's a difference in a game that is written expressly played to be comedy and playing a game in a comedic manner. Right. Well, okay. So one of the facets of Retro Star is the cheese. And so I think that game is expressly written with the intent of you can run it as a comedy game. Right. I don't think you have to. I think it, it uh, definitely reading the rule set and understanding that game, you could run it kind of serious. Mm-hmm. But I think it works well and playing into the cheese and playing it up, I think it works well as a comedy game. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's the tricky part with a game written completely intending to be comedy is that how do you write rules when you don't know what people think is funny? Right. You know, like, like, okay, I, I, I haven't clicked the button to actually back Bonnie Python yet as we record. I intend to, because I'm sorry, I, they were a big part of my early gaming experience, not so much in directly, but in the people that I started gaming with, but it, it does, you know, how do you, how do you make a game based on intense satire and complete nonsense that the game is is bringing that more than the players right you know that i i wonder about that it's i'm curious about it myself i want to know how they do it i want to see that game when it comes out uh, just due to financial situations i'm probably not backing it but i um there's other there's other games that i have that are comedy and serious are, are comedy games that work well mm-hmm. like Discworld. Okay. okay Discworld yeah. is a standalone supplement for GURPS. And I I know that's weird. Discworld in its in and of itself is a whole paradoxical statement. Um <laughs> it is simultaneously a supplement for GURPS and a standalone game all in the same book. It uses GURPS rule set and gives you all the rules you need to know to play that particular game while also giving you all the rules that you need to add it into your GURPS world. Okay. Yeah. And and that's Terry Pratchett. So you're talking about Terry Pratchett's sense of humor is very weird and different. I think part of the thing with comedy games is the initial buy-in. I think you have to have that initial understanding of what the game is trying to do in order to get best results. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, Maybe not everybody, but if you've if you've been around geekdom and understand it enough, you might you probably have a pretty solid understanding of what of what Monty Python is. You've probably seen clips of at least Monty Python and the Holy Grail Mm -hmm. and maybe clips from the other movies or maybe clips from Flying Circus or, you know, you've seen John Cleese and other things or you you know what I mean? Like you have a general understanding of what type of humor that is and. Or, or, you know, it's not too far of a stretch to say you should have a general understanding of what type of humor that is. Mm-hmm. And so your initial buy-in is pretty low. You don't have to think too hard about when I, when you say there's a Monty Python game, I go, huh, that could be either really great or really terrible, but I know what the premise is. I'm not talking about the premise. I'm talking about the execution, right? Mm-hmm. I think the same goes for like Discworld, which is another british comedy game in in the uh, the Discworld series is is weird and and confusing in spots but it's meant to be weird and confusing in spots mm-hmm. it's like um isn't there a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy game too 
Um, I think there's that one that's hidden in the back of Stoltz's website called In Space. Okay. It's so that's oh yeah, that's Hitchhiker's right. Guide ish. Yeah, it's sort of a but you get the idea, right? Like you it's these some of the comedy games are these established are these established things that the buy-in isn't so hard on. And then like a new comedy game has to have a really clear premise, right? Yeah, well, I think I wonder because I can think of two off the top of my head, and I I know one of them. It's a little bit bigger of a game. Grant Howard, Grant Howard, Grant Howitt put out one uh, not terribly long ago called Chaos Brigade. Oh yeah, yeah. Where you play as a batch of, I believe it's orcs in quotation marks that are basically your job is to go do some crazy mission and because you're playing orcs you're going to kind of bundle and muck it bungle and muck it up and chaos ensues and there's ways that's mechanized there's just like big fishbowl of dice that builds and then you get to use it when everything goes kaflooey and whatever you know and so that's intended as a comedic game and i believe it's a one-pager and i think this is his work there's jason statham's big vacation Right. Honey Heist is another one that tends to go comedic. Well, and we talked about it a while ago. I like to bring it up just to just because it makes people laugh. But there's like um, it wasn't us meddling kids, which is a one which is like a two page tabletop RPG. Mm -hmm. But the premise of that is pretty simple. You know, you're you're playing a Scooby Doo esque game, except rather than Shaggy, you have Shaggy, the musical artist. Right. Mm -hmm. That's. Talking about comedy dryly takes away a lot of the fun with comedy. Well, yeah, but I think that's, you know, for a comedy game to work, I think you've hit it on the head that you have to have the buy-in going in. Right. Um, And that being said, you can, I think you can play a comedy game in darn near any system you want to, as long as the everybody at the table is willing. Right. I mean. No, I agree. Well, I guess it was it two or three years ago now. Right after Christmas, we got together and I ran effectively a Home Alone version in 5th edition D&D. Yeah. And we mungled and did whatever with some of the rules. But I told everybody going in, look, we're just going to have fun. I didn't outright tell everyone before we started that it was Home Alone, but I think everyone figured it out soon enough. You made a character that fit right in with a kind of a comedic twist. Mm-hmm. And... You know, everyone caught on, and so we played fast and loose with a lot of the rules, and no one cared because we all knew what we were doing, and we were playing for the sake of the story as opposed to worrying about, did we execute this action correctly? Right. I think that's one of the big things in, in comedy games is that I have a hard time believing that there are there are extremely mechanically heavy comedy games. Yeah. And, unless it's for some kind of comedic effect. Unless that's the comedy in itself. Right. <laughs> but, you know, where the, the goal of the game is actually to get you to go, we're supposed to, th- no, screw that, this happens. Right. Um, and I think one of the things is, is that we've talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about player buy-in. And why does comedy work with getting your players comfortable? Because they have to be comfortable with the idea of laughing and the idea of relaxing and playing a game that's not super serious. Okay. On that, what if as your kind of call it break in game, if you're getting a new group together, that's not intended to be because look, sometimes people get groups together. They want to play, you know, very intense, whatever. And that's what everyone came for. And that's fine. But if you're just kind of putting together a casual group and it's, these two friends from here and these two friends and these two friends, whatever. What if you play a couple comedy sessions off the bat where everyone just gets to laugh and have a good time together. And that kind of helps make everyone comfortable with each other. Yeah, that can work. I, I think, um, I think you have to be a little bit careful with that and, and not careful in the sense that we've talked about careful with other things. I think you just have to be aware that not everybody's sense of humor is the same. And so sometimes that like icebreaker game may not like you might hit an audience, you know, you might, 
I don't want to say an audience. You might hit the players that have the same type of sense of humor, but it might not hit with the players that don't have the same type of sense of humor. Yeah. I think that's one of the pitfalls of most comedy games is if you don't have the specific, like if, if you have a very dark sense of humor and you play something like Jason Statham's big vacation, that's not going to hit with you, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to have, you know, that's a game that's very silly and wacky, not a game that's very goofy. And you know what I mean? Or that's a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, I'll tell you right now, and you know, I've talked about the movie before on the podcast movie that I find absolutely hysterical is uh, Lake Placid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. But that movie's dark and not supposed to be absolutely hysterical. Well, I, I don't think you have Betty White, Oliver Platt and uh, Gleason in a movie that you're not intending to make at least sort of funny. Well, yes, I, I agree with that, but you know what I'm trying to say? No, it's, it's not a slapstick movie in right. the traditional sense. Right. You know, it's not home alone or, you know, it's not Abbott and Costello. Right. And if you have people that like Abbott and Costello and you're playing like Placid, I don't think they're going to get the same, enjoyment out of that yeah i don't know comedy is is but that goes to i think comedy is hard though because like you've said different differences of humor like i'll be completely honest i don't appreciate or i don't say appreciate i don't like a lot of jim carrey's work personally just doesn't hit for me a couple of his movies i really have enjoyed but a lot of them eh. will ferrell is another one for me where i don't care for a lot of his movies i know a lot of people think they're absolutely hysterical. They just don't hit for me. Yeah, no, I I don't like Seinfeld. And I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, no, Seinfeld's hilarious. Like, it's not to me, but also I wasn't I wasn't an adult in the 90s. So I don't really, you know, it sort of goes over my head, some of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I think there's some humor that just, you know, everybody has their own tastes and that's fine. And I get where, you know, people come from and say, oh, well, this doesn't work for me or that doesn't work for me. I think it gets you a good idea of what, you know, playing a comedy game gets you a better idea of somebody's sense of taste than a lot of things. Can, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, can at least. Yeah, I don't know. Where do we go from here? (laughs) Well, I think, though, it's... And I... I, Here's the thing, is I think in a comedy situation, laughter, I think, usually is kind of disarming in a social context in that it's more apt to make people comfortable than uncomfortable unless you head down a road someone's really uncomfortable with. Right. But I yeah, think... that's that's the other thing is comedy like horror, it's very important that you set up your boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very important that you go, look, I I can't deal with this, please please do not make jokes about X, Y, or Z, right? Okay. Now, just, and I'm just throwing this out there since we're kind of off down this weird sort of discussion. Do you think it's harder for people to, and just to use the terminology X card in a comedy situation than it is in say a horror situation? You know, are you less apt to say, uh, no, if everyone else is laughing and you don't find it funny or comfortable, where in say a horror scenario where it's supposed to be scary and uncomfortable and it's just a little over the top for you. I think that depends on, I think that depends on the severity of the thing that you're X carding. Mm -hmm. If it's, so how do I express this? So I say severity and I, I know that that's sort of a loaded term because everything that you're X carding is important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all have things like maybe I find something more annoying than I do, you know, untouched, like un unlaugh. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is, sorry, I couldn't express that very well. No, no. Um, what I'm saying is like for me personally, I guess to a certain point because of being self conscious, whatever. I think for me, if if we're playing a horror game, it's going to be easier for me to pull out that X card. And I'm not saying that this is the way it is for everyone 
and certainly isn't the way it should be, but I'm going to be more self-conscious about pulling an X card in a comedy situation than I am in a horror situation, I think, because if I'm sitting there watching everyone else laughing, part of me is telling myself, and I think this is, I doubt I'm alone in feeling this way, that if I do that, I'm stopping everyone else's fun. And that's not to say that you shouldn't do that because that's exactly what the X card is there for. It's so that you aren't being pushed into a, a spot where you're uncomfortable or whatever safety tool you're using, right? But if we're in a horror situation and I pull that, it's, I don't, I guess in my head, I'm less stopping everyone else's fun. Does that make sense? Yeah. But at the same time, I think that's, I think it was Justin that talked about you being the person that used the, like the GM being the person that used the first X card. That might've been, it could have been Ryan, but it might've been Justin. I don't remember. I, I can't remember. I'm I'm sorry if it was one or the other, but I think it's important if it bothers you enough that you're going to use an X card, I don't think you should hesitate just because the players, the other players at the table are laughing. Right. No, I, I, I yeah, go ahead. I think it's also on the GM to make everybody feel comfortable enough using those X cards that you shouldn't feel bad for using it you shouldn't have any hesitation. Like I said, it's a thing that bothers you. It it should be, you know, whether or not the other people at the table like it, tough patootie, right? Oh, yeah. I think you're 100% right. I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, if that makes sense. No, I, I get what you're saying. And I'm the same way, but I think you need to be a little bit... Okay, Um, real talk. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs to be a little bit more selfish when it comes to your mental health, <laughs> right? Probably I'm the same thing. way. What was that? Is it probably a good thing? Yes. I'm the same way. If I feel like, oh, well, my my qualms or my problems are getting in the way of other people having fun, then I'm just going to sit back and I'll suck it up. I'll be okay. That's not the mindset. That's not the right mindset to have. You need to be a little bit more like, no, this really genuinely bothers me i don't want to have to deal with this i'm gonna put a stop to it i'm sorry you mm -hmm. know what i mean and and don't be sorry just do it just put a stop to it and if if that's a problem at that table maybe that's not the table for you then yeah you should, should be a situation where everybody feels comfortable and if you put a stop to something even at a comedy game the table shouldn't they shouldn't be upset with you because you didn't feel comfortable with that thing Right. Well, that defeats the whole point of the safety tool. Exactly. So, again, if you're if if it's something that bothers you enough that you're going to X card it, then it bothers you enough that you're going to X card it, and you shouldn't feel bad for doing so. No, you definitely shouldn't. And and I I get your trepidation, but I think that's a like I said, everybody needs to be a little bit more selfish when it comes to their mental health, right? Like no, yeah, exactly. I. I just, it it was just a, a string of thought that kind of popped into my head that I felt like was kind of topical to what we were. Talking. No, I, I, I understand where you, I'm, I'm not saying I don't understand where you're coming from, but I think the, the easier solution is to actually be like, no, but like your, your feelings are valid too. <laughs> you know what I mean? 100%. I, I was more saying it as a kind of an exploration of, do you think people as a whole are less apt to safety in a comedy scenario as opposed to a more serious scenario? They might be, but I think you need to, I think as the GM uh, and as, as if we want to, if we want to keep this hobby going and, and, and growing, we need to make those places safer too. Yeah. I think that's just all there is to it. I, I, you know, I've been an advocate of making all tabletop gaming a safe place for everybody because I love seeing the hobby grow. I love seeing more and more and talking to more and more people that play these games because it means I have more people to play with. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, I, maybe I'll tangent off into this for a little bit because I don't think I ever talked about it. When I was younger, I played a lot of D&D because that's all I that's the only game I could get. I know I've talked about that, but I read Cyberpunk 2020 a ton. I read it like 
the first year I got it, the first year I got it, I read it twice in the year. And then I read it every year subsequently and then was like disappointed because I couldn't find anybody to play that game with me. So once I started like getting a bit older, getting actually, you know, more comfortable with being around people, my own independence, like once I was able to drive and go to my local game store myself, mm-hmm. I was able to find people to play the games and and maybe not necessarily Cyberpunk or 2020, but, you know, just try different things. I was able to build my own play group. And so that's why, you know, from that, all that isolationist stuff from me feeling isolated for liking that, that's why I'm such a big advocate for growing the hobby. Mm. Cause I love the idea that like, I love the fact that our discord is huge. And at any given day I could put out a message and be like, Hey, look, this Sunday I want to run a game. Is anybody down to play? And I would get a handful of messages back being like, yeah, I'm down. Yeah, or or the, I want to, but I'm busy that day. We get a lot more of those, but that's the nature of being adult. It's still, you know, it's still the idea that there are people that want to play these games that I like, and I like having, I like having a community and a, and a group of people that can do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, you didn't have this experience because you started out gaming in, you know, playing other systems, we'll mm-hmm. say. I didn't start out gaming that way. I started out gaming playing Pathfinder, which, yeah, it's an, it's technically another system, but it's 3.75. Mm-hmm. You know, it, nobody's going to argue that Pathfinder first edition is not 3.75. No, not many anyway. Well, not, yeah, maybe some people over at, at, at Paizo, but, but yeah, no. So that's why I'm like such a big advocate for not only just because I want people to feel comfortable playing the games they like playing, but because I love seeing the community. I love seeing the hobby grow. I love having more voices. I love having more people around that are just like down to play the games that I like. Yeah. No. And well, like, okay. In, in what you said there, you did hit on a point for me where, yes, when I started gaming in college, it was lots of different games. Then as I moved on into more adult life. It was like D and D, D D and D man. <laughs> yeah. You know, and no, it's, I know. It's, it's, you know, so we kind of had the same experience in a way, but from Inversed. a reverse angle sort of. Right. <laughs> Inversed. Yeah. Um, inverted, whatever, something. Yeah. But no, that's, but I think that's part of why we started the podcast. That's why we do game of the week. That's, you know, a lot of this is and safety tools are a big part of what bring people into the games and bring people into the hobby because they feel comfortable. They feel safe play in the games and, and it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know where I was really, but safety tools and comedy games. I don't want people to be driven off because I like playing comedy games every now and again, and I don't want people driven off because they don't feel safe playing those when they could, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When they have the option, they could, you know, they could feel comfortable playing comedy games. They could find a game that's in their sense of humor, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess, I, where I didn't expect to go when we briefly, you know, the, the 30 second conversation about the topic today, I didn't expect to go with, you end up in a conversation about why safety tools are important in comedy games, but. In a way, they might almost be well, like they are equally as important as they are in, in any other game, and maybe even more so because, you know, like we were just talking about, are people going to be more hesitant to use them because they think it's comedy and they're not supposed to feel unsafe? Right. You know, are they going to self-impose a stigma on that? And I think you might be on to something that they would, but I think that's a stigma that we need to work towards changing Mm -hmm. you know much like when we when we first you know when we both first heard about safety tools i was like that's a great idea that i could have used maybe 10 years ago (laughs) you know what i mean like i heard somebody was explaining to me a safety tool and i'm like man i wish i knew about that back when i was playing the game that i didn't feel comfortable playing Mm -hmm. you know i wish i'd have thought about that that way back when back when I started gaming and, you know, was dealing with some personal stuff and didn't want to deal, you know what I mean? Right. Right. 
and you know some people come at safety tools with some apprehension and there's no they not to be rude or anything but there you shouldn't have that apprehension you should sort of I know you I know your initial reaction might be knee jerk but it, you need to be you need to open up and if your initial reaction is knee jerk you need to l- take a step back and look at it again and think about well maybe it's not just for you right it's right even though you're able to use them and it is for you like you can't they're a tool for you as well mm-hmm. it's for the other people at the table as well it's a, a you know it's for everybody it's not just for you well, yeah, safety tools are there so that everyone has fun. Right. And 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 the thing is, I think also, if you have a legit conversation about safety tools, just the fact that you had that conversation, I think makes everyone at the table more comfortable and more conscious that, hey, you know what, this thing is maybe a little off color. I'm just going to avoid it because I don't need it for the story. It's potentially triggering. I don't need it. I've also, and Justin Eacock has brought this up. Uh, I don't know if he did when talking with us or if I've just heard him mention it on his own podcast, but that also for him, when he knows the X cards are in play and that his players will use them, he also finds it liberating as a GM because he knows he can push as opposed to self-censoring because his players will stop him if he goes too far. Aha. So it's and and I I thought about this a little bit and I was waiting for you to bring this up. It's the analogy that I came up with is it's like riding a horse versus driving a car, right? Okay. When you ride a horse, the horse knows how far and how hard you can push it. And if you push too hard, it pushes back. Uh-huh. When you drive a car, the car does not care how fast or how hard you push it. It will go to the point of braking. Fair. Right? So that's the difference, like riding a horse is playing with safety tools. Driving a car is playing without safety tools. And, you know, you can over rev your car. You cannot over rev a horse. The horse will just say no. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, that makes actually makes decent amount of sense. It makes a lot more sense when you actually start thinking about it versus when it came out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, the horse will go, hey, look, no. Yeah. No, it'll just stop. The horse will just not do the thing that you told it to do and be like, no, I'm not, you're not going to kill me over this. <laughs> oh, my. So we've somehow worked horseback riding into comedy RPGs and safety tools. I like this. <laughs> hey, <laughs> everything's a little bit of a, of a crapshoot with us. You know, you never know where you're going to end up. These weird thought connections, huh? Yeah, but they make sense. Mm-hmm. All right. We got any more on this or we want to move on to something else? Um, I don't know. Do you have anything more that you want to? I th- I think we've kind of explored this. So is it game of the week time? I think it's game of the week. Woohoo! Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. You go or am I going? Uh, why don't you go first? All right. So my game of the week this week, and I found this right as we sat down to, to start doing this kind of a OSR-ish game, so I imagine D20 old-school D&D-esque mechanics, but this one kind of strikes a chord with me because, well, I like post-apocalyptic stuff, and post-apocalyptic is really good for kind of gonzo comedy, sort of darker comedy, but still chaos comedy, let's put it that way. So how about a game, kind of a Mad Maxi post-apocalypse but where you play is a crew of goblins rolling around in a big old Cadillac, just causing mayhem. So the game I found this week is a game called Goblin, G-O-B-B-L-I-N apostrophe. It's from Drunk and Ugly Games, LLC. (laughs) Um, It is a RPG setting and system where players control goblins settling and exploring a post-apocalyptic earth. The creatures who crave violence, stupidity, and chaos have found just the perfect means to obtain it. It says, you know, everyone knows goblins. They're violent, stupid little green guys who have just enough brain cells to know what they're doing and black enough hearts not to care. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like, part of this strikes me as, remember the monkeys that stole the cop car in the original Jumanji? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I see what you're going. I see where you're going with this. This is where my brain went with this game. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> you know, there's a line in here in this preview. It said, the goblins had a whole world of abandoned toys to discover, many of which could kill their fellow goblin from 20 paces away. Like, I don't know that this is something I'd want to play long term, but this would be a heck of a fun, you know, three, four, five session thing. I... <laughs> PDF will set you back about seventeen fifty, but there's yeah, there's some print on demand options. I gotta look at the preview just because. But like, you know, it's it's you know, it's it's like I said, the monkey stealing the police car in Jumanji. It's and I'm I'm I've got another reference in my brain, but I can't place what it is. Mm. But you know, kind of the well, post apocalyptic dumb and dumber. <laughs> even though I'm not the biggest fan of that movie. Um, but, you know, going into preview, there's a list. Here's a list of adjectives for the average goblin. Cowardly, opportunistic, violent, hyperactive, unreliable, stubborn, egotistical, crass, obnoxious, wasteful, stupid, lazy, noisy. Like, yeah, that's cool. It seems fun. Yeah, that's that cool. does seem fun. Goblin. Hmm. Well, I'm having a hard time this week. Um, I'm just not going to lie. The only thing I'll shout out, just because it just got a re-release, we'll shout that out. Okay. Um, let me go over here and bring it up so I can tell you the exact name of it. And you've heard us talk about it a million times, and I don't care. I'm sorry. Um, I think I'm just going to shout out. And, and we've talked about Delta Green a lot. But Delta Green, The Conspiracy, which I can send you a link to. Okay. By Arc Dream Publishing. Uh, Delta Green, the conspiracy is a re-release of the 97 version of Delta Green. Oh, this is the one that they reprinted or whatever. Yes. They, they just kickstarted it, whatever. Yes, yes, yes. They, they basically redid it, uh, added some new art, added some, you know, updated some stuff. I think it's a good jumping on point if you want to get into Delta Green and don't know where to start. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... Okay, I remember what this is now, I believe. Yeah, they say it's an updated, rearranged version of the 1997 Delta Green source book with new art and graphic design. I would say it's probably, from what I'm gathering, from what I'm reading, and from what I'm understanding, this is Delta Green, 1997, but a lot of those, and, and maybe I'll talk to this a little bit, but a lot of those older books really had a hard time with layout and design and where things were organized at. Mm -hmm. And from what I've understood of this and what I was reading, they took and redid the layout of this book and not redid the layout, but redid the, how it's where stuff's located at. Right. Okay. To make it a little bit more cohesive. Probably. I was going to say, this is actually seeing this ever. They, they kickstarted this not very long ago. Um, this is an updated re-release of the original Delta Green. Good. Because when Delta Green originally came out in the 90s, it was a third-party supplement for what was then 5th edition Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> this is all that information updated to the current DG rule set that was released as its standalone game in, I want to say, 2016, maybe? Oh, cool. So this is the OG Delta Green from Call of Cthulhu brought into the current Delta Green rule set. Good. But this is what spawned, you know, it's the same guys who now publish Delta Green wrote right. this originally and then eventually kind of revised and whatever the system to their own thing. So this is the old stuff made new again. Yeah, which that's cool. I like that. I, I, I want that with a lot of things. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, this is, yeah. So it's probably got a lot of like X-Files-y vibe to it because that was, you know, big then. Yeah. Which, hey, that's cool. Like oh, yeah. X-Files. Well, I've often pitched Delta Green as the X-Files in reverse. Yeah. Yeah, you're covering up, not uncovering. But yeah, no, if, if you're looking for a place to jump into Delta Green, I think this would probably be a decent spot. Yeah, I don't know if... If you would then need to buy the core books uh, I'm again, see here. or not again, but in all honesty, the, the core of the rules you can get out of the quick start, they're calling it a source book. Yeah, they're calling it a source book. I would lean towards they're 
all of the information is probably there to start playing. I, I will say I I would be comfortable telling someone that if they had this and the pay what you want quick start, they could start playing for certain. Mm-hmm. But Delta Green is such a wonderful setting. I've got to play that again some more sometime. Oh, it's such a cool thing. Such a cool thing. And this is this is $24.99, so you can't argue with the price. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my game of the week. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. As always, links to everything are in the show notes. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. Patreon, Discord, Facebook, Twitter. While we're at it, a big thank you to our patrons, because this year, y'all covered hosting, so we didn't have to pay for it out of pocket. Woo-hoo! Yeah, hey, we're officially self-sufficient. So, congratulations. Thank you thank for you. pitching in a couple bucks. We really appreciate it. If you feel like you want to pitch in a couple bucks, you know, like I said, Patreon's there. There is exclusive Patreon content that we try to get up as regularly as possible. Yep. Dropped a new episode, was it last week? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember. I remember doing it, I just don't remember when. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know. It was either last week or the week before or something like that. But but yeah, with all that being said, I want to thank everybody for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Most likely, yes. And spam. Let me take care of him real quick. Uh, okay. Spam, 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 spam. Sorry. No problem.